Bills Mafia, was good? This Stevie Johnson, Mr. Why So Serious, and you now tuned in to The Lowdown with Jake Jordan. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the coolest place in Bill's Mafia outside of Western New York. I am your host, Jake. This is The Lowdown, and you are listening to this only on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. How are you doing, everybody? Of course, it is the first week that, you know, we've kind of had to sit back, relax, and um, just really realize that the season is over. And I know it was really, really hard. I know uh, I had football on in the background, and I was sitting on my couch just going like man the buffalo bills should be playing today and it is just really really hard to still wrap our heads around those last 13 seconds of that game but i know you're not here you're like man it's my friday morning stop bringing up 13 seconds man why you gotta bring up 13 seconds well 13 seconds is significant because 13 seconds is something that has been all over social media after the buffalo bills blew it in 13 seconds of course it's come from chiefs fans pretty much and of course you probably know where i'm going with this but i'm gonna say it anyways i'm gonna bring up these facts the uh chiefs fans were wearing shirts that said we could have done it in 12 you know things to poke fun at uh 13 seconds like oh boy the bills blew it in 13 seconds and then what happened after that well the kansas city chiefs got up 21 points and were like oh we're good we're good these cincinnati bengals aren't going to be able to do anything so they don't change anything they really don't change anything and then the cincinnati bengals come back and the chiefs just have no answer for them and then the cherry on top of not only the chiefs fans chanting 13 seconds during the game because oh yeah it's funny yeah look at this we beat the buffalo bills in 13 seconds whatever 13 seconds into overtime patrick mahomes throws the game losing interception 13 seconds into overtime patrick mahomes threw the game losing interception i don't want to hear about 13 seconds anymore unless you're a bills fan don't you talk about 13 seconds i'm serious i don't want to hear it from you 13 seconds you're gonna tell me about 13 seconds well guess what you're in the same place i am sitting on your couch thinking that your team should have gone farther but they didn't because of 13 seconds so congratulations we're all in the same boat now see you next year 13 seconds go ahead wear your shirts could have done it in 12 whatever Patrick Mahomes would have thrown a pick in 12, probably. Doesn't matter. But the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. And, you know, I put out a thing, you know, after the Buffalo Bills had lost. I was like, do we want Patrick Mahomes to get to a Super Bowl? Or do we want Joe Burrow? Of course, a lot of people were like, oh, well, we want Joe Burrow to. Because who wants to see Mahomes in another Super Bowl, right? And look, I'm I'm super cool with Joe Burrow going 
to the Super Bowl. I think kind of they're going to have a, a, a lot, a handful in the Los Angeles Rams, which are uh, currently trying to beat the stigma that you cannot buy a team in football and win a Super Bowl. Uh, it, it, it looks like they, they have a really good chance of probably proving that wrong. But in reality, uh, I, the Cincinnati Bengals have their hands full. But Joe Burrow, I will admit, is probably one of the most likable quarterbacks ever. I, I like Joe, Joe Cool. Like it, it's super cool to see that the Bengals, I, I believe, are gonna have their guy for the future, and that's amazing. Obviously, for fan bases that have endured, you know, the suck for so long, it's nice to kind of see some that you're not exactly a rival with. Like if I see the Jets or the Dolphins or the Patriots have a quarterback and. He's so like cool like that, and he's showing that he can be a superstar in the league. I'm not going to be happy for them, but it's just because it's ingrained in my DNA, in my soul, to hate those teams. I don't hate the Bengals. The Bengals gave me my first ever taste of Buffalo Bills in the playoffs. Now, of course, it was a terrible taste, and all of you remember that game. And I think it all made us better Bills fans for sitting and watching the whole entire thing. And then uh, Tyrod Taylor goes down, and then Nate Peterman goes in, and we're like, oh, Nate Peterman's going to No, Nate Peterman couldn't do it. Terrible game. You all know. I don't got to remind you that. But the Cincinnati Bengals, like, I'm cool with them going to the Super Bowl. That's, that's fine. I would have just preferred the Kansas City Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl because I truly felt – that if Kansas City went and they lost, I would much rather see Patrick Mahomes go one and two in the Super Bowl than Joe Burrow going and possibly winning one before Josh Allen. And I know a lot of people are already jumping on the bandwagon of, well, you know, the Bengals, look how fast they turned it around. They were bad for so long. If, if you really, really look at the Bengals, They've been bad for so long. Their team is built up with first-round picks. That team was going to get good eventually. It just took a good coach to come and bring them all together. And then you throw that uh, like on top of that, that they have Joe Burrow. Dude, Like that team was going to be good. Their offensive line is still pretty much garbage. Uh, they've been holding up slightly against these teams, but they've never seen a defensive line like the Rams. So I'll uh, I I know they see Pittsburgh twice a year, but I I think that the Rams are just a, a completely different animal the way they've been playing. But it should be a good Super Bowl. Of course, I'm rooting for the Rams in this case, and obviously everybody's like, oh well, you're just rooting because you don't want Joe Burrow to win one. Yes, I don't want Joe Burrow to win one. Uh, but in reality, I think Matt Stafford really deserves it. Like I've of course in my f- like in my actual immediate family, there is a Lions fan that's in the family. And I I've, I talked extensively before they traded Matt Stafford. And I asked him, you know, how would you feel if they traded Matt Stafford? And he was like, they can't trade Matt Stafford. He's literally the only person who's been good on our team for so long. But then Matt Stafford took it into his own hands to get out and then he was like yeah well we never were we never did anything with him and Matt Stafford was one of those quarterbacks that you're just like man imagine there was just like a really really good team around him and I know everyone's gonna be like oh well he had Megatron name me more than three people on that offense 
And unless you're some person who's just truly deeply ingrained in football and you know everybody that was on that 53-man roster, uh, there wasn't much. So I'm sitting here and I'm going like, the Super Bowl is coming up. But it's sad as a Bills fan because I'm not excited. I'm not excited to watch football. There have been a lot of developments when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, though. And, of course, there's been a lot of developments when it comes to Brian Flores and things that are going on in the NFL. And I know it took me about eight minutes into this podcast for you to truly know what we were going to talk about and what's on the docket today. Of course, I'm going to talk about coaching staff now and uh, coaching staff that has now moved on. We will talk about that. And then in the second half, I'm going to bring Justice on. And I feel like when I'm talking about this Brian Flores situation and things that are going on, me as a white man cannot give you the full perspective of things. I just cannot. So I thought me and Justice were really, really cool. And, you know, we're, I, I wanted somebody with that perspective to be able to come on and have a conversation with me because I I truly just being who I am, I don't understand it all the way. Of course, you know, I I've seen it and my with my background, you know, I know. Like I've it's it's just I haven't lived it. Right. So I wanted to bring justice on, so we're gonna talk about that. So I wanna warn you about it now. The second half. We will be talking about that kind of stuff. So if that's not your bag, you can just tune out after uh, the halftime, and that's perfectly cool with me. If maybe you're just trying to stay away from that talk, you just don't like to hear it, I completely understand about that. I just wanted to give you forewarning. But what are we talking about? Well, I'm going to talk about the hires, of course. Our new offensive coordinator is Ken Dorsey, and I know – when I was talking about it on first round by with Izzy and Justice, we were talking about who we kind of wanted to replace it. And, you know, a lot of the reports that were coming out uh, were, you know, saying that, well, no, actually Dorsey would prefer to go to the Giants and all of this stuff. And it just kind of made us think, okay, well, if Dorsey actually doesn't want to be here, who does want to be here? And there was a bunch of names we threw around. The one I threw around was Doug Peterson. Uh, I actually really, really liked the idea of Doug Peterson coming in and being able to kind of rebuild himself and being an offensive coordinator with Josh Allen, who is the kind of player he thought Carson Wentz would be. But of course, that didn't happen. And everybody knows what went down in Philly. But I, I truly thought, okay, when Ken Dorsey got called up, I was like, this is a great thing. Because not only are you going to have that continuity with your offense, he's been the passing game coordinator this season and maybe even the season before that was his designation and as you know our passing game has been phenomenal so uh one of the big things to come out is everybody was saying that you know sean mcdermott and brian dayball weren't getting along because mcdermott wanted to run the ball run the ball run the ball but then instead of going and getting a coordinator that mcdermott would be able to just control and have him run the ball, which maybe some people do think that Dorsey is going to be that kind of coordinator. Uh, he goes out and get it, gets a guy who was the passing game coordinator for the coordinator he just left, that just left the organization to become a head coach. And, of course, we can talk about what that organization did. A lot of it is going to be talked about in the second half. But, of course, Brian Dayball leaves to go join Joe Shane, 
and they are now in the New York Giants. And, of course, offensive line coach Bobby Johnson went over there. Literally have no problem with that. If you're in Bill's Mafia and you have a problem with Bobby Johnson leaving as offensive line coach, you just must not have been watching football the last couple of years because Bobby Johnson is literally probably one of the main reasons why the Buffalo Bills offensive line took so long to finally get it because not being able to evaluate the talent he had and then putting guys like Ryan Bates, who obviously were playing better than the other ones. Maybe he wasn't in practice. I don't know. We're not there. But what I'm saying is people that have been brought up in our offensive line have not been developed. Nobody has got here and gotten better per se, right? Uh, of course, Spencer Brown comes in. He's a rookie. And you can say what you want about Ike Vodka and stuff like that. My big one is Cody Ford. And, of course, people can chalk that up to, well, he's just a bust, Jake. And, you, you know, I don't know. I think a big part of it is coaching. And I think a big part of it is not truly being able to get somebody prepared for the one position you're going to want them to play oh so often. So I do not lose sleep over Bobby Johnson not being with the Buffalo Bills anymore. And that just gives the Buffalo Bills an opportunity to upgrade the offensive line coach. I feel like there's, you know, it's it's not a high bar to clear to be a better offensive line coach than what Bobby Johnson has been here the last few years. So he also left to go join that organization. So also with Ken Dorsey being brought up to offensive coordinator that left the QB's coach position wide open. So what do the Buffalo Bills go do? They go get Joe Brady, who is or was the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers this season. And I'll tell you right now, he's already been brought up as being one of the next great young offensive minds. And, you know, they just cut it a little too short. And he caught a lot of the blame for what he was basically had to deal with in Carolina, which if you know the situation with the quarterbacks in Carolina and that offense in general, you would know he probably didn't have a lot to play with. But it was really exciting when he got hired there. And then when he got fired this season and was made the scapegoat for what was happening, especially with the quarterback controversies and everything like that, uh, he was kind of just floating around out there. And now he gets to come in and with Ken Dorsey, knowing what Brian Dayball did and studying what Brian Dayball did for so many years. Now with his offense, when he builds that being able to be with Josh Allen and see how that's built. I do believe that Joe Brady is probably a offensive coordinator that is waiting in the wings for the Buffalo bills. When Ken Dorsey eventually either moves on to become a head coach and then there's another vacant position. You can keep the offense, keep it going. I feel like this is going to be something that happens with the Buffalo Bills moving forward. Is just you're going to see guys come in, get hired up, and then it's just going to keep going like that. And our offense is going to be one of the best in the league. So, of course, I like that offensive line coaching position. Still open. I'm sure the Buffalo Bills will uh, fill that out. And it's going to be an upgrade regardless but yeah kind of that's what's going on in the news with buffalo bills this week of course uh the the whole pro bowl thing with josh allen ignoring going to the pro bowl and saying nah i'm good i'm gonna let my body heal up i'm actually gonna go play golf i don't need your forty thousand. thank you and then that in turn has now made mac jones a pro bowler 
So laugh at that. There's your little laugh for this Friday morning. But this has been the first half. Of course, I've been your host, Jake. This has been the lowdown only on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. I'm going to play you a clip of something that I find that I think is relative to what we are talking about today. And then after that, of course, I have to warn you again, we are talking about the Brian Flores racism lawsuit, the things within it, and getting justice's perspective. And we're just going to have a conversation about it. So if you don't want to hear about that after this clip, you can click it right off. And I will see you guys next week. That'll be awesome. But for anybody that does stay, of course, Justice will be joining me in the second half. And it's going to be a hell of a conversation. Can't wait to talk about it. So this has been the first half. This has been the lowdown on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. I'll see all of you guys in the second half. Since 1990, there have been 59 quarterbacks to make at least 15 starts in their first two years and 15 starts in their next two years. And no quarterback has shown the amount of improvement as Josh Allen has shown. He has shown the most improvement in completion percentage, the second most improvement in adjusted net yards per attempt, passer rating and passing yards per game, the third most improvement in touchdown percentage and the fourth most improvement in yards per attempt. Now, a massive amount of credit goes to Josh Allen for that growth, but I always say you can never separate a quarterback from his play caller. And thus we need to acknowledge the role that Brian Dable has played since Josh Allen has entered the NFL. What is the single most important investment a team makes? It's in their quarterback. And if you draft one, not only do you have to give up a lot to take one at the top of the draft in terms of opportunity cost, many times you're also giving up future first round draft picks as well. But then he's on your roster and you must determine soon thereafter whether to invest hundreds of millions of dollars into that player for his second deal. How do you know to do that if your offensive system is not conducive to maximizing that quarterback? How do you know to do that if your play caller is bad? If your quarterback is the single most important investment a team makes, I'd argue the second most important investment might be your offensive play caller who's going to design, install, and call your offense. Dayball took a rookie quarterback from Wyoming and went through growing pains with him. He designed an offense to maximize Allen's talents. He got the single largest jump from any quarterback from their first two years to their next two years in modern NFL history. And they did that together despite not having another first round draft pick on offense other than the quarterback, something no other playoff team can say. Because of their performance, this offense took a team that hadn't won a playoff game or finished first in the AFC East since 1995 and did both in back-to-back years. Look at the NFL playoffs this year. Of the eight teams still standing, we have the top six offenses in early down efficiency. And six of these teams are coached by former offensive play callers, most of which are calling plays for their team currently. This is an offensive driven league. I'm not sure why you're looking to hire a coach that is a current defensive coordinator that was a former failed head coach in the past. When you have one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, who has led one of the best offenses in the NFL, who has gotten unprecedented growth from a massive investment into a rookie quarterback. It's literally everything that you are looking for if you want to win in the modern era of football. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the coolest place in Bills Mafia outside of Western New York. I am your host, Jake. This is the lowdown only on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. And of course... I already told you what the second half was going to be about. So if you're still here and you don't want to listen to it, why why are you still here? 
Like if, if, if you don't want to hear about this, like, like you're like, all right, you know, I've heard uh, that's all I'm hearing about on TV. I don't want to hear it anymore. Then I completely understand. But of course, joining me, I said that I needed a different perspective from this because as, as we all know, with talking about racism, you not living in it and not being part of the culture that has to deal with it mm-hmm. is like I don't have that kind of platform to sit here and talk about it like that and act like I know everything. Right. Like I so I was like, who's the one guy that I know that I can have an actual intellectual conversation with about this <laughs> and like actually get that kind of perspective? And I was like well, I know the easiest one to get on my show is Justice, so I'm going I'm to get him because I know I can send a DM, and I'm like, Justice going to be there. So right. well, course, I'm glad I could make your, like, top five. Yeah, my top. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I was talking about this, and really the main thing, that, of course, like you can talk about all the stuff that Brian Flores has had to go through. And the main thing that I kind of want to talk about is just the Rooney rule in general. Right. Right. So like I, I am of the fact that I think just the Rooney rule itself feels racist just because like when you have to make it a fact, like, no, you have to do this. Like, I feel like with it making, okay, we're hiring somebody. Okay, well, it's just a check mark, like a box that you have to do just because it's like, oh, it makes everyone happy. I feel like that's almost degrading in some way that there even has to be a rule about that. So I'm going to give you the floor, Justice. What do you think about the Rooney rule in general? And just kind of like all the stuff that we've had to see, because the big thing that I had to point out is right now, there's only one black head coach in the NFL. 32 teams, one black head coach. That seems absolutely ridiculous. And it's Mike Tomlin. So like, I... I don't know, man. Floor is yours. I I know you've probably talked about it multiple times this week because that's all everybody in the NFL is talking about. But I want to get your perspective of it. What do you think of the Rooney Rule in general? Um, I actually only talked about it once, and I talked about it briefly on um home field advantage uh, oh, with Caveman. Um, just actually a couple hours ago. Um, yeah, I was just about to say, uh, Justice just did that, so yeah, make sure to go check that out. Um, honestly. I I agree with you on the on the rule. Uh, ironically, I do I do think you know it is a little you know you you compensate teams for hiring black people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it it just feels like I'm being I don't know just it just I don't know I, it just feels dirty you know what I mean it feels unnecessary like I don't we don't necessarily want to get jobs. I'm speaking just as perspective of a black person, obviously yeah. I, I've never been a coach in the NFL. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can imagine that a lot of them may feel like I don't want you to hire me because you could get an advantage. I want you to hire me because I'm a damn good coach to coach yeah. X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, now I think that the issue in terms of 
um, racism and, you know, hiring and executive and coaching, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it's necessarily like an NFL issue, right? It's more of like an America issue, right? Yeah. Just because obviously the history of our people, obviously we, we pretty much built this country on our backs and then got nothing in return for it. So then when you have that, and then, you know, as you finally get the opportunity to, you know, be free and, and develop communities and whatnot, uh, you're constantly sabotaged throughout, you know, history. And, you know, and all of that leads to a position where you guys aren't in the best position to to get opportunities and to uh, get education needed for certain things and which mm -hmm. would lead to more opportunities. And you don't get to be in some rooms that other people just inherently get to be in. Sometimes you got to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, work extra hard for it. And I think that's the it, that's the issue, uh, you know, with the lack of executives and whatnot is um, there has been less opportunity throughout history so you know when you when you look at the nfl it's just like a subsidiary problem of the bigger problem you know mm -hmm. what i mean um and i don't necessarily think the nfl is like doing it to be racist mm -hmm. i think that the system in place is inherently racist and I don't even know if they realize what's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah, I don't go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I just want to bring up. It's, you know, you, you got to look at owners of teams, right? That that's the big thing when I was having a conversation with my brothers tonight, because I told them I was going to have you on and talk about this. And my, my older brother goes, well, you got to think about it. Like, all these owners are like old white people, you know, like, and we, we all know, like in, in our generation now, I, I would like to believe that racism is definitely on the decline, but as long as, you know, it, the, the older, the olds is what I'll say. The old people that still have those ways, like are still in power and have all this stuff. It still just feels like these things that we're supposed to be overcoming are still there. So it's like where I don't want to believe that an NFL owner would look at a GM and be like, well, because this guy is white, I want to even even if they had the same qualifications, they're both equally qualified. I still hate in my brain that I think that somebody would go, yeah, that guy, just because he's white, I want him like I, I, I just don't understand it. I think it's just a huge problem because of course, like mo most of my friends, like I hear about, I know about like, I, I have conversations with my friend. Like, I just know, because I don't know if you know this about me, but I lived in Clewiston, Florida, which is literally in like muck country. And, you know, all basically the ratio of, African-American people to white people is literally like, it's like 70, 30. It's uh, most of my friends in high school that I actually still talk to this day. I hear about it. I've gone to the barbecues justice. I've been there. I know 
right? Like I hear about this shit and I'm like, I, it, it just makes me sick. Like to just sit here and I see this stuff that goes on and I just hate that the NFL has to have a rule that says you have to interview a minority candidate. It's like that shouldn't even be the problem. If they're qualified, you should interview them. It 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 should not matter what their nationality is. It shouldn't matter what their skin color is. So I I really feel like the NFL instituted that rule thinking that maybe they were helping in some way like oh we're going to make teams do it. But like if you're still forcing somebody to do it, I don't feel like it's really making that much of a change. It's really just causing them to go like all right, well, we're going to bring this guy in, and I, I, I want to bring up a, you know, a, a Bills-related thing with it. It's just we saw that they brought in two coordinators to talk this week about possibly coming in and taking over the OC position. Of course, both minorities, and I was like, okay, cool. And a lot of people were like, oh, this just feels like a Rooney rule thing. And then, of course, a lot of us looked into him and were like, oh, these guys are qualified. It's whatever. And then literally like the next day, Ken Dorsey was like hired up. So then like, I'm, I'm just thinking, I was like, if you're one of these guys that's getting, you know, you're getting that phone call from the Buffalo bills that's saying, Hey, we want you to come interview for this offensive coordinator position. But everything you're reading online is saying that like Josh Allen wants Ken Dorsey to be the guy. And you know, the organization wants to like, do you just feel like when you're getting that phone call, you're just like, dude like i i i know you're just doing this to check check the box like i see now on one hand i can see it being a look you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it's a look right i didn't know who the guy that they brought in for the oc i still can't remember his name um i i but i had never heard of him before i saw that he had you know, interviewed to be the offensive coordinator of Buffalo Bills, but I saw his name and now I know, oh, this guy might be in rotation. Let me look out for him yeah. next year. You know what I mean? So in that him, sense, yeah. I, I, I can see it being a benefit in a way, but um, I do agree. It is kind of crazy to just waste somebody's time. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're wasting everybody's time at that point. Um so again, I'm not, I've never been a coach in the NFL. I mm-hmm. can't speak to their, you know, opinions and perceptions about it. Um, I, 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 I kind of see it both ways. Um, if you ask me my opinion about the Rooney rule specifically, mm-hmm. I would tell you that it feels a little cheap, you know, um, it's like, Hey, here, get this guy. Um, and if you take this guy, I promise I'll give you a couple extra draft picks. It's like, I don't yeah. want to be. I don't want to meet. I don't want to be uh, become anything like that, you know, with, you know, mm-hmm. because I come with added incentives. You need to hire, hire me because you believe that I can run your franchise and I can win you Super Bowls. Yeah. You know? Like you don't you don't want to feel like you're getting hired and it's just because you were the guy that they could hire and then also have things tacked on to be like oh yeah we also get draft picks and stuff like that you're like did you just did you just pick me because you also wanted those draft picks like i don't know we've also seen how fast you know some coaches are in and out too like it's i i tr- i truly don't understand it but one the next thing that i wanted to just talk about is kind of the treatment of Brian Flores right because 
I feel like this is what's kind of brought up the Rooney rule and all of this stuff. And and I I had to believe that, you know, I I don't want to inherently believe that like some guys that were involved with it, like Bill Belichick, like knew anything like that. It was just kind of like a mistake that somebody sent him a text and was like, Oh yeah, we're hiring Dayball. Well, both of their names are Brian. So I mean the easy mistake is there. Yeah. And he's old. So so. I'm I'm just thinking like man, that was it it made me like second guess because everything that made us like hear that oh well brian dayball kind of already had accepted the job they kind of knew that he was going to be the guy it makes me feel like that there was some sort of conversation and brian dayball knew that they're just like oh yeah you're our guy but you know we got to satisfy the rooney rule so we got to go bring in brian flores and then brian dayball's like oh yeah i understand and, like, and, and they brought in leslie fraser yeah and and i'm just like uh, I, I i don't know man it's it really just makes me go like because of course we sit here and of course you know we've talked about Brian Flores forever we we don't we don't know exactly we always thought it was like Tua right was kind of the problem between him and the management but then you hear about oh they wanted to pay me to tank and then they wanted hold me hold to on, go real me- quick real quick yeah. before we go into that yeah I The, I will, okay. I will say the fact that any anything can happen in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're interviewing X to be your offensive coordinator, head coach, and you already have it in your mind, I want this guy as my coach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, shit happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they may go somewhere else. So to have you know, your other options be two minority candidates now. Uh, okay. And, and it's, it's so twisted. It's like, but then again, <laughs> there's one black coach in the NFL. So obviously yeah. it's not working, you know, and um, you know, these, these coaches aren't, even if they are getting called up to get said, so-and-so head coach uh, coaching position or uh, whatever. Wait, no, there's, there's gotta be at least two. There's Brian Leftwich, right? Uh, he's uh, no. So left, which remember how I told you that, you know, they, he, they pretty much reported that he Balky. was going to get the job, but uh. yeah. And then apparently the story flipped and they're like, Oh, actually, no, that's not happening. Balky's still staying. And then Byron left, which is like, dude, all right. Yeah, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm good. So now Jacksonville still is like out there looking for a head coach That's crazy. because they sided with that, but yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I heard it today on one bills live that the there's one black head coach in the entire league and it's Mike Tomlin. That's crazy. And I feel like that's ridiculous. I, I feel like there's so many good coaches out there that well, the, the one that they brought up that really surprised me. And of course we weren't really like, I, I mean, we were probably alive, but you know, we weren't watching football like that was like Tony Dungy too. How long it actually took him to get a chance to actually prove that he was a good coach. And, you know, just kind of the things and Tony Dungy's spoken about how long it took for someone to finally give him a chance and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I feel like 
there is something there that's still just holding it back. And I don't want to just be like, well, every owner in the NFL is racist because that's just painting a whole picture and you don't want to see. But now that's where it gets tricky, right? Of course, uh, some people would say, you know, every owner is racist, but I don't Mm. I don't think it's that they're inherently trying to hold black people down. I Mm. think what's it's again, it's systemic, right? I don't think they are personally like, yo, like down with black people, right? Yeah. I think that it's systemic because there's less opportunity for more people of color than there, you know, is typically for, you know, white people, uh, et cetera. Um, you see more of those faces in, in the football camps and, you know, you more of those kids get opportunities to, you know, uh, to to be assistants and to, you know, um, what's that thing you do when you're in college, when you like shadow a, a, a company? Internships. Internships, exactly. Yeah. You know, so you guys get more, you guys get more internships and etc. Mm-hmm. And then you guys can make it up the ranks a lot higher, a lot quicker because people know you. People, you built a reputation, mm-hmm. but there are less you know, colored faces in those opportunities initially. So then you don't even know that, you know, Byron Leftwich could be your next Sean McVay because Sean McVay is out here killing and I'm nothing against Sean McVay. Sean McVay yeah. was killing everything on his way yeah. up to be a coach in the NFL. And he's a damn good coach. But I mean, you know, I don't, I, Byron Leftwich, I mean, he did get a Super Bowl and then they, they went far with him this year. Of course. I mean, I, I personally say he learned from Brady <laughs> a little bit, you know what I mean? But, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I think that, uh, you know, he could be a good head coach. I don't know. Um, but I'm saying he could be your next Sean McVay. You never know. But, you know, again, he's a former player. So that's how he got an opportunity. You know what I mean? So imagine some kid who had nothing to do with football, didn't play, you know what I mean, and some black kid. How does he even enter that realm? of opportunity to become a head coach. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it, it is, you know, it's about lack of connections, lack of opportunities. And, and, and again, I don't think that's an NFL problem. It's more like an America problem yeah. and it's trickled down into the NFL. And that the NFL of course tries to do things because it, I mean, not a secret here, like when your league is basically 70 what what was the, i think the statistic was like 70 percent african-american so like when you have that you're pretty much like you have to push forward especially when it comes with equality and right like that is your duty especially with you know the people that play for your league and everything like that but like that and I feel like that's what they tried to do with the Rooney rule. But I just kind of feel like the Rooney rule started to just get abused and people were just using it to get draft pick. Like, look at the Houston Texans with David Culley. Like, they got the draft picks and they're like, dude, see you. Even though that team overachieved this year. Yeah. Like, like they did. Like, they, he, got they were of, he got a lot out of those players and they really respected yeah. him. Yeah. And the organization was just like, you know what? Thank you for your time. Like they actually thought that David Culley was going to come in and be the savior of their franchise or something. They, they did it, got more draft compensation. And I don't know after one year, I, I mean, I don't know what goes on on the inside, but 
from the outside, we could see that I thought David Culley actually did not do that bad, especially with the hand that he was given. And I don't know now if David Culley's ever going to get, because now he has that on his reputation that he was a one-year coach and then he got fired. So then it's like, how many other people are going to give you a chance like that? You know, we've even talked about it. Leslie Frazier was the interim head coach when he had to be brought up and then everything didn't go super well there. And now he's our defensive coordinator, but now, you know, it's like, even though he'd be a damn good head coach, you know, he's not like those things impact that too. So I'm, I don't know, man, it's, it's crazy to me. There's just so many things that you wish you could like, everything could just be equal. And obviously with the world right now, like you said, it's an America problem. And it's not something that you can just wave a wand and fix because, you know, it's been ingrained in society for so long. Mm -hmm. So you've got these people and all of these things where you're like, I'm sure a lot of them want to do good and they want to push forward. But the only way for that to really do it is for people to keep taking these chances. Like I do believe like I love there was a couple of GM picks already this year that are people of color. Like, that's great. Like, and I think that that's another step forward because then more coaches and then as that keeps going, because I feel like right now it's always like, oh, well, there's only one coach. There's still plenty of coaches out there. There's like four positions open, but still, like, I feel like it will take a step forward. But I think now that's why I like this Brian Flores, uh, the Brian Flores lawsuit, because in reality, Brian Flores isn't saying like, hey, I want you guys to give me money because, you know, I feel like people were being racist towards me, even though I do think that there was some of that involved. He's like, no, I just want change. And that's kind of like, that's really why I love it because, and I wanted to talk to you about it, kind of how you feel because, you know, so anybody could be like, like John Gruden got fired and he's like, NFL, I want you to give me $100 million because I feel like I was targeted and all this stuff. But Brian Flores is like, I feel like I was targeted with some of this stuff. And I just want you guys to make change. That's why that's why I'm suing you. I think things need to change. <laughs> so, like, kind of just on that situation, how do you feel about Brian Flores, you know, taking the step? Because this is this is really serious, especially for him. We've seen what happens when people come out against the NFL. Like, you're pretty much committing career suicide doing that so like how do you feel about brian flores coming out doing this lawsuit and saying like i don't i don't want you guys to give me money or anything like that i want you guys to do change like i mean like that that's commendable in my book like i go ahead finish oh no i was just saying that's commendable and uh, my book. I think you're lagging a little bit, or maybe it's me. Oh, okay, my bad. All right. Well, I mean, um, uh, we all know Brian Flores is a talented coach. That's you just look at what you know he did. Obviously, through his career, he overachieved everywhere he went. Um, so for it, you know, people to <laughs> so, like you know, um, people to kind of start making excuses they're like you know oh he's just mad he 
he got passed over, you know, um, to be a head coach. And, you know, oh, he's he's got a bad reputation. You know, he's hard to work with and, and all this other stuff. And it's like, bro, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> it's been overachieves. He asks for the respect that any head coach should ask for. You know what I mean? He wants to run his team because he's an alpha male, which is what you want from your head coach. <laughs> right. If you exactly. get mad at him and then you penalize mm-hmm. him for winning or you trying to reward him for yeah, losing. You're trying to, yeah, yeah, you're trying so to give like, him a hundred K. Yeah, like per loss. Like, like, come on, what are we doing right now? And then that and then what happens is he loses, you know, 16 games and they're one in 16. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? You're out of there. You're fired. And you're never getting another opportunity. Oh, you got 1.67 million. <laughs> oh, cool. You know what I mean? But like, what? You know, so you know, um, no, like, uh, it's, that's that's effed up. You know what I mean? Um, if 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 the NFL really wants to make a difference, you know what they would do? They would invest money into their local inner cities, right? Mm-hmm. They will go. They will go to the neighborhoods and and you know where there there are children who you know get less opportunities than the other you all know what these neighborhoods are you know what i mean like we don't have to you know what i mean yeah um, talk to those students you know get a better education for those students um you know and then you know give programs where you take nfl scouts and you know they go out there to community centers and they you know teach you know people about how to actually watch film and about coverages and all this other stuff you know what i mean where you know because inner city high school sometimes they get terrible coaches who don't even mm. really know <laughs> what football is like so yeah. how do you how do you have an opportunity really if you like you got a coach just have you out there running around you know what i mean like so you know if you you could really invest in the future of the nfl because obviously you're not going to fix this by next year this is not going to happen you know mm-hmm. what i mean but you could you know start at the root and go to the children because the children are everything you know and um if they really want to make a difference that would be something that they could do to to help and it would and it would help you know in the next five ten years i think it would pay dividends yeah i and you know i'm gonna circle this to uh obviously you're an nba fan like me do you want you watch basketball the nba is really good with that Mm -hmm. like i i feel like if the NFL needs to do anything, it's just look at what the NBA does. Because I feel like what the NFL does is they just let the players kind of handle doing that kind of stuff in, like, the cities and stuff. That, that They just let the players do that. Oh, you guys have your own foundations. You guys go do that stuff. But it's not like the NFL, which makes money off of all these dudes. They make billions of dollars. Can't take some of that money and go and do the things that you just said to go help these people so that it can advance opportunities for them to move up the ladder. Like you were talking about earlier, so that in time thing, like more and more opportunities open up and things actually change. So I, I feel like you're right. I think the NFL needs to take initiative with that. I feel like another thing that they should do is maybe keep, I don't even know. I, I don't feel like I don't feel, like I don't know, do you keep the Rooney rule? Do you take it away? See, you, look, look, this like, is this is what it feels like. If if I'm if I'm getting into the mind of a 
a rich white billionaire owner, yeah. right? I have all these options mm-hmm. as who I want for my head coach, right? Yeah. Or GM. Let's go GM, mm-hmm. right? I'm hearing around the league certain things about certain people. I like what I see from certain people. Certain, you know, assistant GMs are like, mm, okay, I, I like what I see from them, right? Mm-hmm. And all of these faces are all white faces, right? They're all white people, yeah. right? There's like sprinkled in there somewhere two or three black, you know, candidates, right? And maybe you may hear something about them. Maybe you don't, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and of course, you you tend to be closest with whoever you're closest with, right? Yeah. Whoever you, you know, get that spark from, you like, okay, I, I, I want this guy to run my franchise, you know, sometimes the, that's not the black guy, right? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, right? So then to have them, you know, uh, go through the process of, okay, I have to interview some people, but now I have to make sure I interview a black guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I can, I, I feel like that would probably create just a resentment, which I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's asking for it because we don't need any more resentment than we yeah. already did. You know what I mean? So like, I, I think, Again, it should it's it's not an issue. I don't think they're inherently just trying to hold like black people back. I think it's just a lack of black people like at faces, you know, especially at the ratio that there are white people. You know what I mean? I think they just get way more opportunity. So if you like I said, start at the root and mm-hmm. go and invest in the children, then I think you would have your your problem solved, you know, in, in the near future. Yeah, I I like what you say that there's less of a presence. It's kind of just like like everybody's looking around and you see all these, but then they're like, no, but you have to go do this. And then it's causing some sort of resentment there where they're just kind of like, whatever, we'll bring them in. And whatever. like they don't take it seriously. And I feel like another thing is I really don't like the compensation part of it, part of it. And yeah, we, we, we talked about I really feel like that is that like that's almost insulting. It to is somebody. like it again. I'm not a coach. I've never been a coach. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as a black man, if they were like, here, if you hire this black guy, you know, you get an extra ten thousand dollars. Like, I mean, That feels weird. Now, why are you? No, like, I, I feel like that. That feels racist. Like it, it just does. Like if somebody's like, yeah, you can hire this guy or. You can hire this guy, and I'll also give you ten thousand dollars. And it's just like, uh, well, I I would like ten thousand like, dollars. And it so, and like, it almost devalues the the candidate, right? Because yeah. now now it it always has like this, you know, like you know, I don't know. For me, it would I, I imagine it would be like, did I get this job because they believe in me, or that that they want you know, or my, you know, like David Cully, they clearly I, just wanted a couple extra draft picks. I'm, you know I'm so I mean? glad. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I was literally just about to say exactly what we said with David Cully. Is that like, is this the guy or do they just want me so that they can get a third round pick? And not only that, like, but like, yo, did they completely sabotage me, bro? Like you hired me, got extra draft picks because you gave all your draft picks away. Then I do better than you expected. I developed one of your one of your draft picks that you were going to just throw away yeah. eventually. And then you fire me for mm-hmm. no reason. And you don't even know what you're going to do with the rest of your friends. Like you you have no you have no answers at this point. 
Yeah, and I feel like if you're one of those franchises that has so much turnover like that, you can abuse the system. Like yeah. with these guys that maybe nobody's really heard of or, you know, they've kind of been around for a while but never gotten that opportunity. Like it feels like these teams like the Texans who everybody's just every year they're going to be like, oh, well, they're going to be bad. It's just like, all right, well, let's just bring in this guy because it bring in a black guy, get those extra draft picks, fire yeah. on, bring in another black guy, get the, the fire on. Like, that's, yeah, that's... it it's it it's honestly that's disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, yeah. It's, Brad, there it's we go. Thank like, you. Brad, that's terrible. It's it's terrible that a team could do that. Like I, I, I don't know, man. But of course, I want I wanted to bring you on here because you know I knew that you were going to be able to give me an insight. To where, like, if I was talking about this, I probably wouldn't have talked about the inner cities. Like, obviously, I brought up that I lived in like the small a small town, and and I know literally in the town that I lived in, there was a section of town like actually, if you look on a map, named Harlem. Like that, <laughs> that's really? actually that's actually what they called it. And of course, I I used to go over there all the time and play basketball with my friends and shit. But like, it was. It was literally like I I didn't get it until I really like left and I was like oh yeah there's like Harlem and like some people are like yo that's that's fucking like racist I'm like what <laughs> and then like I I never put it together like that shit so like now now I kind of just like here like there's there's uh two here I'll I'll give you this too I'm I'm not trying to bash on this town but like there's some there's some shit I've come from like I I lived in Tennessee where literally there was a town and there was one black guy in the whole town in Tennessee in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. His name was Bryson. He was one of my best friends. Fuck, love that dude. And then I come down to Florida and I live in Englewood, Florida. And in Englewood, there were two black guys in my class. Both are my best friends, Jamel and Aaron. So I love both those dudes. And then I go to Clewiston and it's like, like everybody else, it's like one half of the town is like, oh, all the white people live on this side of town. And then on the other side of town, I'm like, what is this shit? Like, I, I like I'm, I'm seeing and there's a no, festival. that's this interesting that you, you know, I mean, I didn't expect to get into this on your yeah. podcast, but like there's segregation is still real. Like, let's yeah. not get ourselves. It's, it's still real. Like you still have, you know, all the, um, I guess. You have uh, like people, I guess, upper class in one area, you know what I mean? And, you know, then you have lower class in other areas and, you know, then in and then, you know, obviously in certain cities, you'll have certain sections knocked off for specific, um, mm. you know, races and, and cultures and whatnot. So it, it, it is still it's still a thing. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, people don't necessarily go out there and experience it. So they may yeah. not know that if they aren't explicitly told. And even if they are explicitly told, they probably would deny it, yeah. even though they don't really know about it. But that's just a who. Yeah. But <laughs> it's crazy, too, because living here in Orlando, I don't uh, like like a lot of people here don't really know that kind of stuff, like because. It's like that's kind of like that small town thing here in Orlando. Of course, there's, you know, parts of Orlando that are lower income and then higher income, of course. But they're all like I I never see it the way that I used to see there where it was just like you never saw some pe like people used to like 
my mom used to get like scared because I'm, I mean, I don't want to out my mom, but my mom was just like scared because I would go over to Harlem to play with my friends, basketball and shit, because of course I don't care. I'll ride my bike anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I go over there and then she's just like, like every single time, be careful. I'm like, all right, all right, geez, chill. Like I'm, I'm good. I've literally gone over there like 400 times. It doesn't matter. But like, the the sugar the sugar the icing on top of this whole thing is that this town right because uh in the middle of florida they call it muck country because it's literally like there's like bell glade pahokee like some of these some of these schools you'll know some of the bet some of the best football players that you've probably ever like seen derrick henry came from literally the town right over from us like that was completely awesome just to see these guys but in this town there's a thing called sugar festival because in clueston it's surrounded by sugarcane because u.s sugar is there so it's surrounded by sugarcane and they have a thing called sugar festival you want to tell me how there's also a thing called brown sugar festival brown sugar festival and they hold it like in in the same place but it's like complete like it's completely different and like they're always like yeah no white people go to brown sugar festival it's like what like i i i I don't understand man that small town stuff that's why i like to get perspective of it because you know i've kind of just always just love everybody but of course some people aren't like that but like like it's it's just crazy man all this stuff going on right now of course a lot of people being outed on Twitter, by the way, with all this stuff, too. So that that block button is really getting uh, some use nowadays. But no, it's it's just crazy, man. I I this whole situation. I hope that it eventually turns into something that goes for good. I feel like there's no way the NFL can ignore this. Uh, I mean, they probably can. I mean, they've got so much money and they've done it before, but. I feel like now that this is getting so much more mainstream attention and people are going to keep backing it. Like Hugh Jackson today came in was like, I will back Brian Flores and all this. And there's players on the giants actually that Brian Dable is not. And and that's a whole situation too. I, I think we should talk about that on uh first, first round by, which of course you can catch uh, at the time you're listening to this that night, Friday night. But I feel like, there's so many players now that are backing Brian Flores that it's going to actually like it's going to turn into something. Hopefully it's not something that gets just swept under the rug like usual. And the NFL is just like, no, nope, everything is fine. There's nothing bad going on here. So I, I don't know, man, it is something crazy, but of course I, I, I want to thank you for joining me because I, of course, like I said, I can't fully give that perspective because I'm, a white dude so it's <laughs> no. not like i yeah i i don't i don't think um i think the system you know of yeah. course there there are obviously a lot of you know higher ups are you know racist let's not mm-hmm. kid ourselves you know yeah. that's uh it's obvious you know a lot of them um <laughs> but and i'm not gonna put that on everybody i i do think yeah. um i do think that if if you know you saw more more black people, more people of color, uh, getting more opportunities. I think that people would a see that we're not scary, 
you know, <laughs> like, you know, like that feels so you know, crazy that you have to say that, bro. Yeah, I know because you know, I'm seven feet tall, you know, I'm 350 pounds, you know. I, well, I mean, I, I see why people be scared of you, seven it, foot, right? Tall, exactly, God, and, and you know, <laughs> so you know, people always like assume I'm just mm. like this big, aggressive, like monster, you know. Um, <laughs> so I get it, you know. Um, but again, just just get comfortable with you know with, with black like i promise you we're we're we're, we're good people like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like you don't have to say be careful going out like <laughs> yeah my god bro <laughs> like, you know. like literally like i say we're all human beings dude like and honestly if you want to go by science like everybody kind of originated from africa so you know kind of just look at that if you're actually a bleeding racist that doesn't actually great bro racism bro like when i tell you son racism is the stupidest shit in the world bro it's like son bro if i if i take a machete and i slice your arm what happens bro like you you bleed right yeah if i do that with any person on this planet the same shit happens like to Mm -hmm. to judge people (laughs) because they have a different like skin it it feels fucking stupid as fuck it feels archaic like yeah. it's, it's, like it's, it's really like remedial for real so yeah. i i <laughs> i don't know man but it's that's 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 what people you know choose to do with their time so i hey i don't know bro it's it, it's ridiculous and i really hate that and i didn't mean for this to really turn into the a hey, racism like <laughs> but like that's i but obviously fuck racism but this is like the, the, this is my show, and of course, I warned everybody in the first half that I knew the conversations were going to get like you know like deep about this. We were going to talk about this stuff. So you know, some people. Can, can uh, I ask you a question? Yeah, what's up? Why Why do you feel? Um, I guess like why do you feel the, Why do you feel like you have to give like a a, a warning of sorts? Because people get triggered, bro, and people See, are like, and, and that's that right there is. is I'm glad you said that. That's ultimately my my other question. Why do you feel like people get triggered by this conversation? Oh, because they're probably somewhere in their heart racist. And, you know, in that fact, the point of why I say it is because I don't want to deal with those people. So if they're going to get upset about it, if I don't tell them beforehand that we're going to be talking about racism and stuff like that beforehand, and they're listening to it and they're like a racist, then I'm probably going to hear about it or... (laughs) something like that. So I feel like I have to put that out there just so that we don't have to deal with it because there are so many stupid people in the world out here. I will literally tell you the other day there were a, there's a bridge that goes right across I-4, which goes all the way down to Disney world. There were dudes standing there with a Nazi flag standing there, holding it, like holding their arm up like that or whatever, like, like Nazis. And they're sitting there like, demonstrating on one of the main major highways like you you live in florida you know i4 like they're sitting there and nobody's saying anything which is the ridiculous part like in local news people are kind of talking about it but like the governor hasn't acknowledged it at all because it was like a big thing like hundreds of thousands of people saw it and like people want to sit here and go Oh, racism's not really like that bad anymore. It's like, yeah, it 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 maybe it's not at the forefront as much as maybe it 
really used to be, but it's still there, dude. Like, I can tell you personally, I hear it. I hear that stuff. And it's disgusting, but it's still there. So like you said, like the fact that you had to say, don't be, don't be scared of black people. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it, I, I, I cannot bro. Like it's, I don't know. Like when, when you hear things, especially growing up, like when I came from Tennessee, the first thing is like, you know, I, I, I had seen people of other races before and I, I watch a bunch of TV and learn a bunch of stuff. And so like, like my mom's like sits me down and is like, Hey, you do know that, you know, there's people of other colors and stuff like that. Like I'm about to go to the school and be like, Oh my God, why is that person? Like, like, I'm like, like people still have to like say that stuff. And I, I don't know, man, I, I'm hoping our generation is the one that kind of. I agree. You know what I think? I think it's because of that segregation that happens is again, people aren't comfortable with each other. If you yeah. come from a background where you're only around white people your entire life yeah. and then you, you know, run into a black people and you have this negative connotation and notion in your head of what a black person is and mm. you get uncomfortable and you deal with it in a stupid way, you know, and you know, black people, vice versa, same thing. You know, if you mm. deal with black people for the majority of your time and then you deal with, you know, sometimes, you know, whatever you might deal with it in an unnecessary way. Yeah. Um, it goes both ways people just not being comfortable with around other people and i think that goes into that whole you know people are still living in their own you know is this no really and and you said you hope we can be the generation that changes it i think the internet is really interesting right Mm. because the internet allows a multitude of people and cultures and beliefs to come together and find common interest and so although you know it's it, it still may be a all hispanic community or a all you know asian american community um or all black or irish yeah. or whatever community yeah. you, you can still communicate you know on this worldwide web that can, yeah. you know connects everybody and uh you know you guys can find you can find common ground with people who don't look like you so i think the Bro. internet is really interesting for uh, the next period in history because it'll obviously be like none other. You know what I mean? Bro, justice. Just, just look at what we're doing right now, dude. Like me me and you, like obviously I live in I live in Florida. You live in Buffalo. Like we're here right now talking about common well not maybe not like now, but we usually talk about the bills. We sit there and we talk and of course like well, like, I mean, we talk about Marvel too. We talk yeah, about DC. I mean, we, we, bro, we talk about Dragon Ball, bro. We talk about everything, bro. bro. Yeah, <laughs> it's, and and it's just like, like of course, if I ever ran into you in person, like I'm not gonna yeah. be like, oh, I gotta, like I, I gotta avoid yeah. that guy. Like, <laughs> if, like if we never did that. But what yeah. I'm saying is, like, some people, like what we did, like there's so many people in built in Buffalo of all different races. We all talk. We're all we're all like good. Like it's. It's great. And I feel like that's like what you're saying is that the internet can be that kind of place where people can find common ground and talk about things and it doesn't matter. So yeah, it's, it's archaic that people sit there and go, your skin color is different from mine. I feel like I'm better than you or whatever, vice versa. And it's just ridiculous. And uh, I, I like that it's being brought up in the it's NFL a, right a, now. It's a comfort, so. it's a comfortability thing. Um, 
I think you'll find that if you ever run into a white person that was raised around black people, they don't have an issue with black people. Like you, like you, you just spoke to, you know, you, you know, being around black people a lot of your time, you know, spending, having, you know what I mean? So like you, you can obviously speak to that. And I know a lot of, obviously black people, if they grow up around white people, they probably will have to inherently deal with some racism. Of course, um, just as being black in America, you will have to, but um, they're probably more comfortable around white people uh, than, you know, obviously the average, you know, person is because they're not necessarily interjoined in in society up until the internet, you know what I mean? So, Yeah, and that's that's just one last thing that I want to bring in is you talked about the segregation and how that's kind of a, that's kind of like a point that keeps people in their own worlds and kind of stops everybody from, you know, completely getting together and being comfortable with each other. That's that's kind of like why I like living in Orlando as opposed to like the small towns and stuff down in Florida is because, you know, you interact with people of different backgrounds every single day. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's it's just nice to live in a city where it's not like, oh, well, over there, it's frowned upon if you go over there, because like like I will literally drive all the way down to Colonial Boulevard and go to this little hole in the wall asian shop or whatever which like most people like probably don't even know is that like i go to like all these different places and support all these different communities and all this stuff because it's like you shouldn't just be like well you only shop at Publix because it's in your area where all the white people are like what why would you like i i i don't understand that i think it's archaic that you know people sit there and you know a lot of it has to do with how the government kind of you know with housing developments and stuff like that did segregate like segregated people and obviously made it to where it was like that and now it that in turn is like you said an america problem that has now reached into other parts and is affecting everybody and i i think that a lot of people like if you've if you live in one of these towns or whatever and you're sitting like you're like uh well i don't know how it'd be around uh, they're just people man like you don't like you don't have to look at it as like that guy's black, that guy's white, that guy's Asian. Like you don't have to look; at it. they're just guys. They're they're humans, man. Like it's not. I mean, you can you can people. absolutely appreciate people for their cultures and everything. Oh yeah, but like just treat everybody with kindness and decency. Like yeah. you know what I mean? It's just just appreciate people for who they are. Don't prejudge them based on what you think people mm-hmm. are like. You know what I mean? Just 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 like get to know people man before you you know what i'm saying yeah. judge them or, or anything like that yeah and like don't take like things that you hear so always learn from your own experiences right right like, don't always take negative experiences as painting a whole picture of for, an entire demographic yeah for a whole demographic like one of the things is i always hate hearing all white people are racist mm-hmm. like i i hear that all the time and i think people that say that are ignorant because of course i know me and i know people i associate it's, with this trauma it's, it's but, pain. yeah I, I get what you're saying i i, I mm-hmm. hear what you're saying but it, it is trauma's pain yes yeah. um it's it's is from a it's from a voice that's as tired that, that has mm. that has been reminded every single february of the history of our people and then you know they're forced to you know go work for this 
this person who they see as an oppressor, you know, even though this isn't the person oppressing them, it's is mm. really, you know, more like a, a system, but they, yeah. they, they take it out on who they see as the enemy because of their skin tone. So it's kind of, it's, 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 it's like a, it's like PTSD almost, mm. you know what I mean? And I, I totally understand why you would feel like they're ignorant. Um, I, I, I would say they're more so in defense mode. Let's put it that way. Okay. All right. Well, of, of course, thank thank you for saying that because like you, you don't want to just throw the ignorant word around out yeah. there. So that explanation helps me more. Just to finish the point is don't don't like take those experiences and paint a whole picture, but also like if if you're hearing someone because like I've said, I've grown up with family members, of course. Everybody in my family is white. So, you know, I <laughs> really what? Yeah, what? Who who would have known? I'd be like the most Caucasian looking person ever. But like I uh like if you hear things like my grandfathers and stuff like that, like you hear things, don't take that and go, oh well, that's that's so true. Like I like all that stuff that I've heard back then, I'm just like that's those guys are from a different era those, yeah. that like they're you it's, know it's, that it's, stuff I, it's funny because everybody is what they were taught to be you know what i mean so it's honestly it's hard for me to to oh man of course you hold people accountable for their actions yeah. but at the same time again we come back to this ignorance word but it's like you literally you just don't know which is the definition of ignorance you you just don't know. Yeah, you don't know you don't know what you don't know and so you know um it, i <laughs> it, i'm not necessarily saying we should give them a pass or anything like that yeah it, it's just that i i understand i i have come to terms with the fact mm. that you know people are taught different things and they are a victim they are a victim of a of a of a negative mindset that was you know uh, forced upon them you know just or i don't even necessarily want to say forced upon them because it wasn't forced on everybody but that's just you know what i mean so again you don't know what you don't know um so i i personally i don't again you you know me i stay to myself (laughs) you know like i just I go out there, I say what I say, you know, talk about the bills mm-hmm. and I go home and I sleep, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think just humans in general, you know, I think uh, humans are hurting and um, I think they're, you know, lashing out at each other as they have throughout all of history. Yep. And they, you know, find ways to, to, you know, justify themselves. And so they look down upon another creed or tribe or whatever yeah. and it's an unfortunate uh characteristic of humans but unfortunately it is human nature um and i think that uh everybody should just try to learn to love each other to be honest i think that's the only way we survive yeah justice i really feel like i need to clip that because that was <laughs> That was, that was actually really, really good. And I, I feel like that's something that actually needs to be out there for everybody to hear. Of course, the message stays the same. Just love everybody, man. I mean, you can't. Obviously, I, I also loved what you said about, you know, people being a victim 
of, you know, a negative mentality, you know, what they've learned kind of like, like I said, I was able to, you know, hear that kind of stuff. And, you know, while, you know, some people, maybe that's all they ever hear and they don't have experiences to be mm-hmm. able to teach them otherwise. Right. Like, like I've talked about on my friends and stuff that I've done, which really helped me just hear that stuff. And I'm like, that's just noise, dude. Like, like that's, that's not true. So it's, you know, some people just don't have that. And obviously, I mean, you're really able to tell when somebody's kind of had that, but yeah, man, just with our generation, I think it's going to, of course, you're never going to be able to fully get rid of it because there's always going to be people that are always going to have those influences that are passed down and, you know, you just can't change their minds. But I think that more and more as our generation, you know, goes on social media and sees people interact with each other and stuff like that, it could help change the narrative. So that's really, really awesome in my book. But of course, Justice, I want to thank you for having, like, for being on here because I did not expect us to go an hour with this topic. <laughs> Me neither. Like, I didn't know like, what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know I didn't let you know because I didn't, like, I, I kind of wanted it to be an off the cuff kind of like, discussion i know sometimes people might find it a little bit difficult to have these kind of conversations Mm -hmm. like and of course i find it difficult to have these kind of conversations with like people like in my own life sometimes it's like you don't want to sit there and talk about it because you'd like to just live in your own world where you're like oh maybe that doesn't exist but you know when you have these Mm -hmm. conversations and you see people that you love say things that you don't necessarily believe and it you know it creates a yeah i got you yeah so it's i i definitely loved having you on especially of course i always love talking with you and chopping it up that's that's awesome. I don't think we've ever had like a deep conversation like this before. No, but usually anime or something. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually it's about anime, but definitely it just helps get a bigger perspective and, you know, helps everybody grow closer. And hopefully if somebody has sat here and listened to this whole entire conversation that we've had on top of the 15 minutes that they got of me talking about the bills and Ken Dorsey and like what a, what a turn, right? Like you go from, yeah, Ken Dorsey and, uh, and Brady coming Dave in, Ball. and then oh, yeah, wait. Dave All and wait. Shane, Ken Dorsey, and and Brady coming in into what? Uh, well, well, Ken Dorsey, the OC, and then Joe Brady coming in. Oh, so. you talking about transitioning into this conversation? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. And then this <laughs> conversation—that's another reason why I had to warn people, Justice, because yeah. I'm like, you might be here for football left. talk, but we're about to get pretty deep, so yeah. you might just be like. Yeah, I'm trying to go to the gym, dude. Like, I'm going I'm, I'm to change the podcast. But yeah, man, I, I, I love having you on here, Justice. It was definitely an awesome conversation. I'm definitely going to have to clip some of these things because, you know, they definitely, I think, need to be heard. And, you know, of course, I'm going to see you on like Friday night on First Round by. So everybody make sure to go tune into that because I promise you it probably won't be a giant deep conversation like this but we're definitely going to be talking about some bills football and it's going to be awesome with me justice and izzy and i don't know if we have a guest this week but uh i'll talk to you after all right all right all right all right we'll we'll talk about it after but you have been listening to the coolest place in bills mafia outside of western new york i've been your host jake joined by justice this is the built-in buffalo podcast network and i will see all of you guys next week go bills Go Bills.